Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. This morning, we're going to start a, a new series, and I wanted to do things uh, a little bit different as we began this series, uh, because we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit over the next nine weeks. The fruit of the Spirit is a, a list of things that, that Paul gives to us in the book of Galatians. And maybe you're here this morning and you didn't grow up in the church, or maybe you have never read the Bible um, and aren't familiar with it. So I just wanted to read very uh, briefly to you this list that Paul gives us. It's in first, or, I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The reason that I think that, that this list, this list of virtues is so important is that so many of us are gasping for air. Nearly every relationship that we have has been touched by the frustration and division that we experience in our society right now. All of us know that there is a list of untouchable topics that are difficult to discuss, even with those we love the deepest every day. And it feels like this is getting more and more. I read an article this week um, and this is a wild example, but the article that I read uh, questioned whether or not it was moral to have orcs be the bad guy in fantasy stories and fantasy games. I'll say nothing of the argument, but just to say that we're asking that question makes me feel tired. It, ma- it, makes, me, it makes me kind of shake my head because so many of us, whether we're a Christian or not, so many of us genuinely want to do the right thing. We genuinely want to care for those around us, but I think that the number of us that genuinely want to do that is the same as the number of us who are genuinely tired. We're unsure of how to love and care for others. We don't know how to move through this exhaustion. And so the way that we respond to this exhaustion of everything that goes around us, everything that happens is that it pushes us deeper and deeper into the cynicism that we already have. We get deeper and deeper and more cynical. There's nothing good left out there. There's nothing great for us to see. There's nothing worthwhile. So what's the way out of the cycle? If we just keep trying to be good and that, that goodness that we're trying to muster up leads us to exhaustion and that exhaustion just deepens our cynicism, how do we get past that? How do we get out of that cycle? How do we step off of the treadmill and quit playing the game? Is there a different way? I think there is. That's why I'm talking. It's the whole idea of me being here right now is to tell you that I think there is another way. And that other way is the fruit of the Spirit. That other way are the virtues that Paul lists out, that Jesus says he is growing in the lives of those that follow him. 
This is a different way. And even more than that, these fruit of the Spirit are the ways that God is growing us in order to bless our neighbors as well. But to be clear from the outset, as I've already alluded to, these fruit of the Spirit are not the things that we need to force into our lives. These are not the sort of things that are the result of our sort of uh, tight-fisted production. They're the result of God working in our lives. This is not the fruit of achievement. This is not the fruit of effort, but rather this is the result of God working in our lives, not the reason for God working in our lives. See, oftentimes when we have a list of virtues, we want to make them the reason that God works in our lives, but this is not that. These are the results of what God is already doing. When we dwell deeply on the message and the life of Jesus, what that dwelling deeply leads us to is these fruit of the Spirit. And so this morning, we come to the topic of love. We come to answer the question, what's love got to do? Got to do. Got to do with it. You see, we, we hear Jesus, we hear stories from the Bible, and they invite us into loving one another. They invite us in to loving God. But what happens with you and I is we are perfectly content to love a select few number of people. We're perfectly content to love with a conditional sort of affection. But Jesus is calling us to something more. Jesus is calling us to something more beautiful than just loving a select number of people, than just having a conditional love based on what others can give us, a transactional love of what we get out of it. There's more beauty to be had. And I want to show you that beauty this morning. And to do that, I want you to stand with me as I'm going to read 1 John. I'm going to read verses uh, 13, I'm sorry, 16 through 24. So if you can, if you're able, please stand with me. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And that we ought also, I'm sorry, I started in the wrong verse. I was wrong. <laughs> I marked it improperly this week. I apologize. Starting in verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. And everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know that we love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated.
as Christians, the message to love others. It's not hard for me to stand up here. It's not controversial for me to stand up here and say, you ought to love one another. We sort of get that. Maybe we've read the Gospel of John where Jesus says that again and again. Maybe we've read the letters of John that are all themed around the love that he has to do with it. And even as we read this passage, we're all pretty sure that murder is bad and so is hatred. So we know we ought to love one another. We feel like we do a pretty decent job. We've hardly murdered anybody. And we keep our hate on the low key and on the down low. So we can all just sort of pat ourselves on the back, say, keep up the good work and move on to the rest of the service, right? Well, no. You know that I'm not going to go that fast. You know that I've probably written a minute or two more worth of content here. The reason, that we, the reason that we're so quick to give ourselves a pass, the reason why we're so quick to say, oh, I know that I ought to love others, and I know I'm not supposed to murder and hate others. I'm doing pretty good with that, is that we so narrowly define love that we make it an easy bar for us to jump over. We say, I have not yelled in anger at anybody at Publix in a long time. I'm doing good. Justin, thanks for your sermon on loving one another. I got it. I, I'm very loving towards my spouse. Great. I do this. Check this off on the box. Good job. Let's get to the next fruit of the Spirit. But the reason why we give ourselves a pass, the reason why we are so quick to go, yeah, doing pretty good on the love thing, is because we narrowly define it. It's like this. Imagine you were to book a flight to Japan. I had to look up this morning if the Olympics were still happening to see if this illustration worked. They are, incidentally, as of now. And imagine you were to go to Japan and you would go to the track and field stadium and you were to break in in the middle of the night where nobody was there. And then you do a lap. You do your 400 meters. And then you come back to America and say, I ran in the Olympics. Look what I did. I am an Olympic runner. We would see that as ridiculous. That is absolutely crazy. Why? Because you've, you, you, you've changed the definition of what it means. That, yes, yeah, you're right. You were in the Olympic Stadium and you did run. And maybe you even wore a flag on your shirt so it looked official. But just because you broke into a stadium in the middle of the night does not make you an Olympian. Just because we say we love one another does not mean that we actually do. Just because we know we ought to love one another and occasionally try to doesn't mean that we actually do that. The sort of love that Jesus is talking about, the sort of love that we are being called to is exceedingly strange. The sort of love that we're being asked to show for others is so radical that it, that it creates a, a sort of response in others. It's no uh, sort of coincidence that when John thinks of this, that he points to the story of Cain and Abel. Why? Because Abel's love for God provoked Cain. Cain couldn't handle it. And so what did Cain do? He saw the love that Abel had for God and he killed him. 
In fact, in the passage that we read, not only does it allude to that, but it says that because of the love we show to one another, the world is going to hate us. Now that's strange, right? Because it is not controversial in any context for me to stand up and say, y'all ought to love one another. Like that is the world's least controversial statement. And yet John says that there is a sort of love that's going to turn others against you. That the kind of love that is the fruit of the Spirit is going to be provocative. Why? What's the difference? What's the unique thing there that sets this apart? I think the first thing that we see as we look at this, as we think about love, is that the love that is the fruit of the gospel of Jesus, the fruit of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, is not selective. It's not a love that sort of narrows in on just those who can give us something in return. It's not the sort of love that just we give to those who love us back. See, that sort of love we see and experience all over the place. If you do a good job, your boss is going to love you, probably, right? Because you're making him money. You're making her money. If you do a good job, great. You're, you love it. Love to, you love to see it. We're used to this conditional sort of love. We're used to love that is selective and based on, on just that. But the sort of love that Jesus is calling us to is the sort of love that loves everybody all the time. Think about that. We're called to love everybody all the time. Again, that doesn't sound controversial, but if you let the punch land, if you begin to think about the everybody part of that and the all of the time part of that, all of a sudden that gets hard around. And those are the sort of people that Jesus says, love them all the time. I'm really good at loving people who love me back. It's really easy to love people who love me. But what about those who don't like me? What about those who, who say things in a snide way, who take shots? who throw shade. I'm supposed to love them. What about those who sort of take up my time? What about those people that are just sort of, just leave me alone for a second. I'm trying to take a nap. Why do you got to call during my nap? Those are the sort of people that make it harder to love. And John says, if we've truly been joined to Christ and his resurrection, if we've truly been united to him, this is the sort of love that is born in us. This is the sort of love that flows out of us because love is constantly growing in our hearts as we experience the love of Jesus. When we let hate ferment in our hearts or when we just settle for love that is, recipro love that is reciprocal, what's happening, what's going on is that we're on the side of death. John calls into question, are, are you even... Are you even a Christian if you only love those who love you? Have you really passed from death into life? 
You see, our love is never reactive. It's never reactive to what another person does. Our love always goes first. Our love always loves when others are unlovely. Do you want to see the lives of those around you change? Do you want to see the sort of culture of your family, of your workplace, of the places you hang out at? Do you want to see that change? Then you start to love everyone all the time. Because that's the same kind of love that the Holy Spirit is growing in us. But not just that. It's not just that the scope of our love is different. It's not just that our love is provocative. Even more, our love is, is unique and genuine because it is self-sacrificial. John sort of laid out a scenario and said that if you have stuff, notice John doesn't say if you're wealthy. We like to go to the James passage that says, ah, if you're wealthy, share what you have. But John doesn't talk to wealthy people. He talks to people that aren't wealthy. He just says, if you have worldly goods of any kind, and you see someone in need, and you close your heart off to them, you are not loving them. And not only are you not loving them, but he questions what's going on in your life because he says, Jesus' love doesn't abide in you. That's pretty harsh. It's pretty harsh for John to sort of go to that level. But the thing is, is that all love is truly sacrificial. All love comes at a cost. It's easy to say that we love others. It's easy to say that everyone ought to love one another. It's easy to say this. In fact, what does John even say? Stop saying it. Start doing it, right? Let's not love God in, in word and in talk, but in deed and in the way we live. And that's, that's when we start to get antsy when we realize that love is going to cost us, we start to get a little nervous when we think about it. How do we, how do we do? How well do we love when we have to sit across the table from someone whose political views are abhorrent to ours? How do we do when all of a sudden we're called to love when someone wants something that we cherish. Look, this is true of me. This is, to be honest, the part of this that I struggle with the most. Because for me, I can stand up here and talk about love. I can write a nice social media post for Jen to post on the internet to talk about love. And nobody would be offended. It would be very nice and wholesome. But all of a sudden, when someone calls me and says, hey, I need to talk hey, I need to talk with you about something serious. And I'm looking at my watch going, it's Thursday, and I'm way behind on my sermon. Do you really have to talk? Do you really need to? Because I'm a little busy right now. I've got some other things to do. And by the way, this is a conversation I don't want to have. And what goes through my mind? What goes through my mind when I'm put in a situation where I need to love someone in a difficult situation, what happens in my mind, in my heart, is I start to go, well, maybe God's trying to teach them something and I should just let them figure it out on their own. Who am I to step in and do the work of the Holy Spirit? That, that's not my job. I can't be that for them. So you know what? I'm not, I'm gonna, I'll just let them be. 
I'll do, you know, I'll, I'll do the whole two rings and then the voicemail. Why? Why do I all of a sudden want to shirk my responsibility in that moment? Because love is going to cost me something. And I'm not willing to pay that cost. I think you're probably with me sometimes in that boat. We make up excuses for why it's not our role, for why it's not our job in this moment to love someone else. I do. I do too. And when we operate this, John calls us to take a good hard look at our life, to take a good hard look at where our faith in Jesus is. Our love has to be more than talk. It has to be more than just platitudes and bumper stickers. It actually has to work itself out into our actions, our time, our money, the attention that we give to others. Our love has to be for everybody all the time and always sacrificial. That is a high bar. If we sort of set that as our bar for loving others, all of the sudden, not looking so great. All of the sudden, we realize that the love that we show is often selective We pick a small group of friends or family and we love them well, but we exclude everyone else. And we love those who can love us back. We love those who pay back our love and friendship. And we don't sacrifice anything to make it happen. When we hold ourselves up to the mirror like that, all of a sudden the picture that we get of ourselves isn't what we want. But the beauty of this text is it doesn't just sort of hold that mirror up and show us what true love looks like in our lives. It shows us something bigger and something more beautiful. As we look through this text, as we read what John has to say about us, as we think about the fruit of the Spirit that Paul says the Holy Spirit is growing in us, all of that, all of that is connected and woven together to show us and remind us of the love that Jesus has shown for us. Because after all, the love that Jesus has shown for us is a love that we can't pay back. We could never pay back all that he's done for us. The love that Jesus has shown for us is a love that goes first. What was our passage that we heard as we confessed our sins? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The love of Jesus is not something that cost him nothing, that he just sort of arbitrarily said, I love you. No, it cost him his very life. The love of Jesus is sacrificial. It goes first. It expects nothing in return. The only way for the fruit of the spirit of love to grow in your heart And mine is to begin to dwell on the message of Jesus, on the story of Jesus, on how he has loved us. As we experience his love, things change in our hearts. Because again, this isn't some sort of resolve. You don't walk out of here this morning saying, I'm gonna set my alarm clock one minute earlier tomorrow and I'm gonna take that minute to muster up the love for everybody I don't love. This isn't a go-do-harder thing. This is a dwell deeply in what it means to be loved by Jesus thing. 
Because as we experience that love, that love that continuously again and again reaches out to us, even when we don't love others. That love that goes first while we were still sinners, before we even come to confess, that sort of love as we experience grows in us something new. It grows in us something beautiful. And what happens as we begin to do this is that it begins to capture our attention. James K.A. Smith has written a book called You Are What You Love. And in this book, what he talks about is the fact that, that all of us are shaped by the thing that we treasure. All of us are shaped by the things that we desire. So whatever it is that you desire, your life will begin to bend and grow around it. So if you are shaped by the outrage rectangle in your pocket, if that's what you're feeding off of, your life will begin to look like that. If you are being shaped, if you are being consumed by constantly thinking other people are wrong or other people are dumb, guess how you'll begin to treat other people? And so many of us, so many of us are being fed that day after day after day. We're being fed outrage. We're being, we're being fed the arrogance to think everybody who disagrees with us is bad. And then we're shaped by that and it's malformed, and it's ugly. And Jesus is calling us to something better and beautiful. Jesus is calling us not to be shaped by those things, but to cultivate a desire in our heart for him, to set our affection on Jesus, who has already set his affection on us. Because as we look, as we look and see him as beautiful, and see the moment that he has loved us day after day, again and again, even as we uh, confess and fail, as we see that happening, something unique changes in your heart and mine. Because as we desire that, as we change that, we dwell on him and we begin to show that sort of love towards others, sort of love that we experience from God because becomes the love that others experience from us. The change that he works in our lives is the change that begins to change what's around us. As we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our love, it grows our love for others. We look around with new eyes. We see the world in a new way, imagining the ways that we can love and serve instead of the ways that others can serve us as we see him as more beautiful, we experience his radical love and we can be radically changed by it. So church, let us see Jesus. Let us savor him. Let us remember how his love changed us and continues to change us. Let us remember how his love engages our hearts even while we are sinning. And may we be changed by that to love all people all the time with the love that really cost us something because we have inexhaustible riches in Jesus. Let's pray.